All right, as it was mentioned a moment ago, uh, we're going to be wrapping up a series today that we've been calling The Time of Your Life. And uh, we've been focusing on the days of our life, and today we're going to kind of project beyond that from just the days to what's it going to be throughout all eternity. And we're going to do so by looking at a book in the Bible that you may have never looked at. You may have never read it. And uh, so this could be an exciting day for you. Uh, in spite of the fact that um, you think something very important is going on on television. Um, and for those of you that obviously have chosen Jesus over football, uh, and you got the DVR working at home, um, we have some brothers and sisters in the room that no doubt are making use of other electronic uh, advancement. And so if you know the score before we leave today, don't tell us. All right? We don't want to know until we get to go home later and check it out for ourselves. All right. Speaking of God, bring, bringing that all back, let's pray. So, Father, we uh, confess that we need to hear a word from you today. Would you give us ears to hear? Would you give us a mind that can comprehend? Would you give us a heart? that can respond. We commit this time of listening to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I've been asking you to pray with me over these last few weeks, and here has been our prayer. Moses taught us this prayer. We took it from Psalm 90, and it's a prayer that says, Teach us to number our days. When, when God teaches us to number our days, He is basically teaching us how to make our lives count. And the full prayer is, teach us to number our days that we might have a heart of wisdom. Because the fact of the matter is, if we live our days as if they are numbered, if we live our days like there is a beginning and an end and it doesn't go on forever, then we will make better decisions. We will live a better life. And so this prayer not only calls upon God's help and God's wisdom for us about that, but this prayer is a constant and a consistent uh, confession, reminder of what limited lives we have. We live between, as we said a couple of weeks ago, everlasting to everlasting. Everlasting, eternity past to everlasting, eternity in the future. No beginning, no end. That's God's realm. He is over and in all of that, everlasting to everlasting. And we are in this small segment of everlasting to everlasting called time. Time has not always existed. God created time and has uh, enabled us to live within time. And not only that, we live in a very small segment of time. Psalm 90 reminded us that we might have 70 years, 80 years. Some of us may have 90 years. Our days are numbered and we don't know what they are. We don't know what that number is, but God does. And if we uh, make him first in our lives, if we esteem him first and esteem him best and follow him with a whole heart, uh, follow him earnestly, as we were talking about last week, then we not only reduce or eliminate the whole worry factor that sidetracks a lot of us, but we are able to live responsibly with that defined time that he's given us. So, the book that we're going to get into today, 
uh, involves a guy by the name of Solomon. Now, that name may be familiar to you, and uh, you may not know a fuller picture of who this guy was and what he means to us and our faith. But he lived a long time ago. He was the third king of Israel. So there was Saul, David, and then Solomon. And this is like 3,000 years ago. So it's a long time ago. And he was quite the diverse, brilliant, genius if you will, type guy. He was an architect. He was a scientist. He was a leader. He was a builder of a great kingdom. And he was an author. He wrote a a number of Proverbs and uh, a book that we'll be getting into today. Perhaps in his time, the wealthiest man in the world. And of course, wealth was not as widespread as it is today. And so when we talk about him being the wealthiest man in the world... Uh, we're not saying, and then there were, you know, the Rockefellers and, you know, the Gates and all these other guys around. He was like up there by himself. There were very few really, really wealthy guys. And so there's this huge chasm between who he is and what he has and everybody else. Now, this afforded him opportunity that no one in his day ever had. No one in our day has. Because he was brilliant because he possessed such wisdom that he had prayed for and God had blessed him with, because he lived in a time where uh, Israel was not at war and all of his borders were safe and he didn't have to occupy himself with battles, and because he had this immense wealth, he decided he would do something. With all of that opportunity, he decided he would think. He would study, read, reflect, ponder, pray. And he, he decided that he would do that comprehensively. He, he explored the breadth and the depth of everything. Of marriage and family, of relationships, of systems and organizations, of uh, various scientific matters and theological matters and philosophical matters. He plumbed the depths of all these things. And then he wrote about it in a book called Ecclesiastes. So as I said, uh, you may never have cracked the book. And once we get into it today, you're going to go, wow, that was in Ecclesiastes? I heard that in a song. Or I saw that on a poster. Or someone quotes that thing all the time. That came from Solomon, huh? And it did. So we're going to get into all of that. And as we do, we we will begin in chapter 1 and verse 1 and 2. And immediately we will be thrust into his thesis statement. Okay? So he's going to let you know where he's going with this and what it's all going to be about immediately right out of the gate. Now remember how he arrives at this. He has plumbed the depths of all of these disciplines, all of these avenues of thought, all of these matters of import. Thought, pondered, prayed. Now he's written. What's the purpose of life? What's the meaning of life? And here's his thesis statement, Ecclesiastes 1-2. It's meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher. Utter meaningless. In case you haven't gotten it yet, everything is meaningless. I feel better. How about you? (laughs) 
So here's the wisest man that ever lived with the, 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 the possibilities that no one else has ever had in terms of exploring the breadth and depth of all of humanity and all that there, there, there is. Conclusion. Meaningless. Utter meaningless. Everything meaningless. So let me just right out of the gate say, because we won't read every verse of the book today. But uh, when you read Ecclesiastes, uh, word to the wise, don't read a part of it. Put it down and say, I'll pick it up tomorrow. Okay? It will drive you crazy. It is intended to be read in one reading. And like I said, we won't do that today. There's too much of it. But uh, if we stopped right here and say, well, I'll get back to that tomorrow. Hey, I'm going to be carrying some of that meaninglessness with me throughout the day. He goes on. What does man gain from all of his labor at which he toils under the sun? Let's just get practical. Let's just take it to where we live. I know. Here's my thesis. Everything's meaningless. And you go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. It's not all meaningless. I mean, there's, there's things that are important to me. They have meaning to me. And so Solomon might go, okay, you get back in the room. What's meaning? Meaningful for you. And it's a 19, 20-something-year-old, right? And he, uh, he goes, uh, 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 my car. Really? What are you going to do with that car? I'm going to drive it. What are you going to do after that? Uh, I'm going to sell it. What are you going to do after that? I'm going to get another car. And he's like, that's my point. It's all meaningless. What does it matter? You have car after car. You drive after drive. You go place after place. So what? It all amounts to nothing. It's all meaningless. What does man gain from all of his labor? You say you got this, this job that's meaningful. You go and you do this. You turn that out. You, you, so what? Generations come. Generations go. But the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun sets, it hurries back to where it rises. It's the same day after day after day after day. And when you've got no more days, it's the same day after day after day. I'm feeling better and better. How about you? <laughs> and so, Solomon is pressing the issue. He is trying to tug on heartstrings. And as we move on to verse 9, he says, What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. You thought you were something special? I know your mama said you were. You are not. You'll live a little life. You'll grow up in your family. You'll learn a few things. Maybe go to school. Maybe you get married. Maybe you don't. Maybe you have children. Maybe you don't. You'll get old. You'll die. The sun will come up. The sun will go down. Life will go on. There's nothing new under the sun. It happens time after time after time. A million times after a million times after a million times. It's all meaningless. And the key, friend, that you have to focus in on is the phrase that appears 29 times 
in Ecclesiastes. And it's the phrase, under the sun. Everything under the sun is meaningless. Everything in the bookends of the beginning and end of your life under the sun, meaningless. The God everlasting to everlasting. You, a few years under the sun. God holds all meaning. You, no meaning. Ecclesiastes 9.11 I have seen something else under the sun in this temporal world. The race is not to the swift. The battle doesn't go to the strong. Food doesn't come to the wise. Wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned. But time and chance happen to them all. He basically just said life is utterly random. It's unpredictable. It's unjust. It's unfair. It doesn't make sense. It's illogical. The fastest guy doesn't always win. The strongest doesn't always conquer. The people who have been diligent and worked and toiled don't always come out with the food that they need. And the guy who is a slacker and does nothing sometimes has wealth. What's with that? This world is crazy. It's upside down. It's random. There's chance. It's unfair. It's meaningless. Where? Under the sun. Are you beginning to get that? Under the sun. Ecclesiastes 3.11, though. Solomon begins to give us a window into what his true message is. He says, now, understand this. God has made everything beautiful. Ecclesiastes 3.11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Now, there are other times where it's crazy, it's silly, or it's stupid, or it's nonsensical, or it's painful, or whatever. But then there are those times where it's beautiful. You guys that are parents, particularly parents of older kids, and you know they've gone through that stage of where you know nothing, and you may be the dumbest person on the planet, and there's, you know, how in the world did you get this far, mom and dad, and not know any more than what you know, and so on. And then there's this later time where they talk to you like an adult, and they kind of have seen what you have known and understood through the years, and you know what? I really want to talk to you about this because I know you have some wisdom about that. All of a sudden, life's beautiful. There's a time. So for those of you that haven't gotten to that time yet, just kind of hang on. That time may come. He has made everything beautiful in his time. And, get this, he has also set eternity in the hearts of men. Now what that means is this. There is something innate to you. God put it in you that says, that concludes, there's got to be more 
than what's in this life under the sun. There has got to be something else beyond what we know and what we experience in this life under the sun. Now, here's the interesting thing about history. Because it tends to have cycles and things kind of tend to get repeated. This is why it's wonderful to study history because you can kind of begin to understand what's going on today and what may happen again in the future. But every now and then, there will be a small number of atheists that become very popular. And uh, some of you may know who I'm thinking about today. There's a small number of atheists who have some very uh, wide-read publications, bestsellers, have a lot of conversation generated around them, blogs always, you know, in the uh, conversation about whatever they've written. And they will make some very audacious and some bold proclamations about the primitive nature of religion and why man hangs on to religion and hangs on to his God when what he really needs to hang on to is a more responsible and adult kind of life, blah, blah, blah. And somebody will get excited about that, right? And they'll start reading this guy or that guy and they go, yeah, that makes sense, yeah, that. And you know what, I suspected that it was this or it was that. And that whole religion thing, I always suspected, you know. And they may buy into these guys for a little while. But overwhelmingly, that number of people will come to some juncture in life and innately ponder. There's got to be something more than this life. There's got to be something more than this world as we know it. And that is because God has put eternity in us. It's not a matter of science. It's not a matter of theology. It's a matter of creation. He's just put that in you. We have this yearning and this pining and this longing for something beyond what's under the sun. And even for Him. So he has made everything beautiful in his time. He's also set eternity in the hearts of men. Yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Done? It's all meaningless. Nothing makes sense in this world. It's all unfair. It's all unjust. Things aren't turning out the way they're supposed to turn out. You're telling me that God's doing something? Yes. God is working. And God is at work all the time. God is doing something all the time. And sometime when time is no more, we will have capacity to see back through all of time and be awed and amazed at what God has done. But right now, Solomon says, you can't fathom it. You cannot fathom it. Scratch your nail a little bit on the surface, and that's about all you can fathom of all that God has done. So just know this. It's all meaningless. It all makes no sense under the sun. But there is something more. You know that. It's innate to you. So just understand that as it is today, you won't get it. You can't begin to fathom Who God is and all that God has done. He's too big. And we're too small and too confined to a little wisp 
a little breath, a little puff. And that's all our lives amount to from everlasting to everlasting. Just a... Ecclesiastes 3.14 tells us, I know that everything that God does, because He's working all the time, He's doing stuff all the time, I know that everything that God does will endure forever. I've plumbed the depths and the breadth of everything. I've pondered it. I've considered it. I've examined thoroughly everything. And I'll tell you this, I can't even fathom all that God does. But what I do know is that what He does, it's going to endure forever. It's going to be around forever. In other words... It behoove you to be about what God does. Because that's what lasts. That's what counts. That's what matters. It will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken from it. God does it so that men will fear Him. God does what He does. God is at work. God is performing and accomplishing and taking care of business in ways that will endure forever so that we will fear Him. And you know what that word means. It doesn't mean cower over in a corner, but it means to revere. It means to respect. It means to have a sense of awe about Him. He does what He does. He, he works as He works. And you can glimpse just pieces of it. You can fathom just a little of it so that you can respect Him, revere Him, fear Him. And that takes us toward His conclusion in chapter 12, second to last verse of the entire book, verse 13, where Solomon says, Now all has been heard. And here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. What? Richest man that ever lived, wisest man that ever lived, had the opportunity to plumb the breadth and the depth of everything that there is, and his conclusion is... Fear God and keep His commandments? I feared God and kept His commandments. And my spouse left me after 20 years of marriage. Off with somebody else. Seems to be really doing well and happy. My life sucks. Fear God and keep His commandments? I towed the line in my job. I was, I was full of integrity. I did everything that the company asked me to do. And they summarily dismissed me without any kind of plan to take care of me. Fear God keep His commandments? I got involved in a church. I served the Lord with a whole heart. I rolled up my sleeves and people could count on me and I gave way beyond what I could afford to give and I trusted and I believed and it's all tanked for me and people turned on me and they weren't kind to me and I was treated abusively. Fear God and keep His commandments? And Solomon would say, Yeah. Because everything under the sun is meaningless. I, I know people are cheated on in their marriages and cheated on in their businesses and they're abused in their churches and every, you know, the government can mess with them and all, all kinds of things can be unfair and, un, and unjust. I get that. But God is at work. Everything He does will endure. So trust Him, fear Him, obey Him. 
that's the best counsel I can give you, Solomon says. You get that diagnosis that you don't know what to do about. Fear Him and keep His commandments. The economy destroys your retirement. Fear God. Keep His commandments. Some bizarre shooter comes into your store and kills people. Fear God. Keep His commandments. Because nothing under this sun is going to make sense. So, let me say a final word to four of you. And the first is to students. You guys have the opportunity to get this thing right. You're at the age where you haven't made a lot of mistakes like a lot of the rest of us have. You have the opportunity to start getting it right today. Fear God. Keep His commandments. I know in your world there's so many things that loom so big and seem so important and they press in on you so much and there's all this, what do these people think about that and whatever. Fear God. Keep His commandments. And then to those of you that are single and you've bought into this cultural myth that says if I just get the right guy, if I just get the right woman, if I just get the right thing in my life, I'm going to be okay. It doesn't lie there. Fear God and keep His commandments. Don't buy into the cultural lies. And for those of you that are married, and even those of you that are married with kids or without kids, life is about more than who gets to do what, and who won which argument, which battle, and all that kind of thing. And Will Junior be able to accomplish this or will she be able to do that? Fear God and keep His commandments. You won't get every advance in life. It won't all be smooth waters, smooth sailing. Your child won't be the great success at everything he or she attempts. Keep fearing God and keeping His commandments. And then those of you that are empty nesters, which by the way, probably none of this was a surprise to you, what we talked about today. Those of you that have lived a number of days, you've been sitting here just kind of, yeah, yeah, that's it, yeah, I, I, I did get that. Friends, we need you. We need what God has been doing in you through all of these days and years. We need your investment in us. We need you in our small groups. We need you serving on our teams. We need to be able to rub shoulders and do life with you. Please don't check out on us in retirement. Please don't go away and play your life away in golf and retirement places and throwing horseshoes and all that kind of silliness. Be a part of this community and make a difference in our lives. And you go, nobody ever pays any attention to me. My own children won't listen to me. Hey, I get that. Somebody else's children will listen to you, though. (laughs) 
And we need you. Let's pray together. So, Father, our prayer is that you would teach us to number our days and to give us a heart of wisdom. And we confess in this moment our frustrations that Solomon has tapped. Life is just unfair and it hurts and it's crazy. But we're also reminded that you're at work. And everything you do matters and lasts forever. And so we will hope in you. We will trust in you. We will continue to fear and respect you and to keep your commandments. And we'll do that because Jesus gives us the grace to do so. We pray in his name.